0: middle of the pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by
1: the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are
2: the middle of the pack.
1: Build your backyard obstacles with a vision for the future. A good obstacle can grow with your ability and accommodate a few workout buddies. Jarrett Newby. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Middle of the Pack podcast. I am your host, Charles McDonald, and I am here with Megan. Hi. Derek couldn't make it this week. He was in Florida Racing Savage, so we actually have a very special guest with us today. We have Aaron with Race Ready Obstacles. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how are you guys? I'm I'm doing pretty great. It's a little cold, but what I'm doing you? pretty great. <laughs> yep, same same here. We're in what's looking to be an actual possible race season this year. And with last year, we saw kind of a huge boom. And well, last year with COVID, with everyone shut down, we saw a huge boom with people kind of like building their own obstacles. And The two of us, uh, me and Megan, both not really being carpenters or even having our own backyards. um, We were pretty unfamiliar with it. So seeing the work that you've done um, with the race brands you've worked for, we really wanted to have a pretty good insight on how to uh, put all this together and make sure other people who are kind of interested in the same way of uh, getting some stuff into their backyard, you could probably guide us along as as well through uh building our own obstacles okay all for that
0: yeah COVID we just saw everybody starting to train from home and this giant boom in backyard OCR and Aaron you've been doing such great work with race ready obstacles can you first um walk us through how exactly did race ready obstacles um come about
3: well, it kind of just began. My wife and I we've been doing we've been doing OCR since I think I think it was either 2016 or 2017 is when we first started. We went and did a Spartan race, you know, relatively near the house. Uh, it was Chicago Spartan, still like an hour from Chicago, but anyway. So we had gone and and done one of those, and when we got all done, my wife had absolutely failed miserably on twister. And she was like, yeah, okay. I only got one shot at that. And then I had to go do burpees. And so she told me, she was like, listen, I need you to make me a twister. She goes, I'm never going to be able to pass it unless I get more than, you know, one shot on twister. So it was like, okay. So I went on YouTube and reverse engineered off of the videos I saw and reached out to somebody over at Spartan and, just asked them if they'd check my numbers. And they were like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, okay, sweet. So made my wife a twister. From there, it segued on to building a rig at the house, building walls, you know, building, you know, an Olympus and, you know, other things, traverse wall and stuff that, you know, that she wanted to work on. And kind of from there was, we had a, a friend of the family that was like, they would ask me to come out and, you know, build something in her backyard and at the time I mean it was wasn't really anything I'd done except for other than you know for the family so you know I had gone out there and I was like okay I was like yeah I, I can do that so basically I was flying by the seat of my pants at that point <laughs> So I, I, I hadn't built for any races or anything you know the most I had done was volunteer at Spartan and set up you know a hundred yard barbed wire crawl through thorns and so I was like you know it's not that I didn't think I couldn't build it. It's just, I hadn't really, you know, really built anything like that. And, you know, I went out to this, you know, our friend's house and I ended up building a, you know, 30 foot long rig in her yard and I've added onto it since then. And after that it was, you know, she was right on this main road over in Naperville and she had people stopping at her house asking who had built it. So she was like, can I give them your number? And I was like, yeah, sure. And yeah kind of from there and so it's kind of I've never really advertised it's mostly just about all been word of mouth.
0: Wow that's incredible.
3: Yeah so yeah that's kind of where it took off from there and I, I started the business about a year and a well going on two years now it was July of and a half ago or whatever and yeah, I've gone from there and it segued into you know making grips and you know other things that I sell and And then, you know, still building rigs for gyms and, you know, people who want stuff in their backyards. And it's kind of translated into the Ninja Warrior stuff, too, which initially, I mean, I didn't know Warriors. I've never done, you know, just occasionally watched the show. But, you know, it is very similar. And so I kind of segued into that and I've built stuff for some people that compete on American Ninja Warrior and, you know, things like that. So,
0: So starting out, you said that. You saw the twister, you went online and you found um, videos and kind of reverse engineered it. Um from there, is that how you've gone about building all of the obstacles, or have you gone found plans online from like other brands or other like YouTubes, other forums to build these?
3: for a lot, not so much the rigs. the rigs have all been custom. I just basically designed that for what that person is looking for. I've never built two rigs the same way. People are always asking me if I have plans. And I'm like, no, not really, because I've never done the same rig twice. It's always been different. Everybody wants something different. Everybody's working on something different. So, but as far as like the grips and things like that, a lot of it's just been You know, either videos or I've been at a race and then I'm just sitting there and my wife's like, Hey, what are you doing? Aren't you going to do Olympus? And I'm like, Hold on. I was like, I'm measuring with my hands, you know, and I'll sit there and, and I'll measure things out in my head and then just, you know, file it away and then go back and build it at the house, you know. I mean, a lot of it's been like that. Some, I mean, there's, I haven't really found too many plans online. And a lot of the, some of the stuff I've seen with plans online, you know, where people have drawn stuff up, it, you know, I'll look at it, but it's not always, you know, right. You know, I'll I'll see a plan and I'll be like, yeah, that, that's not, you know, that's not quite right, you know? And so I just kind of go with, I, I try not to, you know, I'm not really one of those guys that's gonna, I mean, I'm not re, I'm not re, I'm not reinventing the wheel or anything. It's not like, you know, there aren't other T-bar grips or on other stirrup grips out there. There's other companies that sell them, but I just try and do something, you know, maybe a little bit different with, you know, with mine, you know, I got my logo water jetted in the side. I think it looks cool. Um, You know, stuff like that. You know, I don't, I try not to really paint my stuff. I powder coat everything, you know, just to make it a little more durable, you know, things like that. I just try and, you know, do something to make it, You know, just maybe a little bit better than, you know, the other stuff you can find out there. So it's a lot of work, but I like it. So if I don't think it's awesome, then you're never going to see me sell it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely.
0: So with that, if you're not using necessarily the same plan every time or going by the same, how are you... Factoring in like the safety precautions, you know, safety testing, what, how do you determine weight capacities? Um, What, what do the safety protocols look like for you before you can deem an obstacle ready for um, the
3: new owner, whatever else? Yeah,
0: definitely. this,
3: This is the way I've always told people if I wouldn't let my kids play on it, then it's not good enough. I know that sounds like a, a really tame way to, you know, I mean a very mild way to put it, but that's, that's kind of how I, I tend to, I don't tend to, I do, I over everything. I over-build everything. Um, can you get away with using a two by six on something? Yeah, probably. Or am I going to build it with a two by six? No, I'm not. It's going to be a two by 10 or a two by 12. You know what I mean? Um, you know, all the hardware I use and stuff is, you know, I I see people out there, sometimes they'll go and they'll, they'll be building something. They're like, oh yeah, I attached this board with deck screws. And I'm like, yeah. And deck screws have a sheer strength of like a hundred pounds per square inch. So, you know, you get enough shock on it. It, you're just going to, those screws are either going to rip out or they're going to, you know, break in half. So everything I use, um, my, my favorite thing to use right now is um, cause you can use bolts. You can use like, you know, lag bolts and things like that. They're just a lot more work when you're building. So <clears throat> I've been using construction lags, and the construction legs have a sheer strength. So, you know, depending on the, the diameter of it, they have the sheer strength of like 12,000 pounds per square inch. Well, you know, you put four in there, that's like 4,800 pounds. Okay. So, and these things are, you know, they're rated uh, for construction use. You know, they're designed to hold, you know, loads that, you know, the average screw is not, you know, going to be, you know, going to be able to hold. So everything I use, I guess, you know, everything I use is just way above and beyond, you know, what it, needs to be i mean you could probably get away with it when you see people using eye bolts and they just use you know the eye bolts that aren't necessarily uh forged mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the the weight the weight capacity says 250 pounds now that's probably half of what it can actually hold so it can probably hold close to 500 pounds the companies are going to say yeah load limit is only 250 pounds but it's a very you know safe uh load limit well as soon as you switch to a forged eye bolt, which aren't that much more expensive, suddenly you're looking at a load limit of, you know, if it's a eighths one, you're looking at a load limit of 1,200 pounds. Or if you go to half inch, which is typically what I use, then you're looking at 2,200 pounds. You know, so it really just comes down to using the best materials you can. And is it going to be more expensive? Yeah, it is. But when it comes down to safety, do you really want to skimp on that you know and that that's the, that's the way I've always looked at it and so yeah everything I make is overbuilt <laughs> it just is that's how I've always gone into it when I build so
1: one thing I was wondering I'm not sure if we went over it what exactly is your do you have a full background in carpentry or machine work or is this just out of just purely based out of just hobby and knowing how to build stuff it's,
3: I've always kind of had like a mechanical mind. I can usually look at something and then like kind of walk my way through it and figure out how something works. Um But as far as like the building stuff, like I said, I started as a kid building stuff. I started building, you know, trummy little tree forts. And then from there, you know, helping rebuild houses for people. And, you know, I, I remodeled our house in Texas before we moved back to Illinois. And I've just kind of always built I mean it's not that I necessarily went to school for it I didn't although I do have some engineering background I did go to school for a while for engineering until I realized how awful calculus was (laughs) and 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 just how hard that was for me and I was like oh my gosh I was like maybe I was like I'm not building a bridge here so you know I just I've just always worked with my hands you know I grew up on a farm you know I'm I was always working on stuff, whether it be, you know, engines, you know, rebuilding engines, working on tractors, working on cars, building stuff at houses, doing tile work. A lot of it's just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good videos out there, you know, for people to learn how to do things. I mean, you almost don't even have to go to school anymore. You can find videos on how to do just about everything on YouTube. You can Google just about everything. That's not necessarily what I do, but you know, it's just kind of, you know, the information's out there. You know, you just gotta go looking for it. So it's just, I've kind of just always done it. It's always come natural to me. So, and I get that for a lot of people, that's not something that they've, you know, that they've done because I'm always telling people, you know, hey, ask me a question. You got a, you got a question about something, you know, just shoot me a DM or whatever, you know, and I'll try and walk you through it. I've helped a bunch of people, you know, add stuff into their basement or put something in their garage or, you know, do something like that. I like to be able to help people do stuff, but I've also realized that there's a lot of people that, you know, the trade kind of stuff is just not a thing as much anymore as it used to be. You know, you don't, you got a lot of people that haven't done any carpentry work and haven't worked with somebody who's, you know, that's what they've done their whole life, you know, and so I've gotten the opportunity over the years where I've I've been able to work with people that, you know, have worked construction their entire life. You know, and so I sit there and get to work with them, see how they do stuff, you know, ask them questions. They're like, Hey, yeah, well, this is why I do this. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, makes sense. You know, and then I just file that away as one more thing I now know how to do. So
0: that's so awesome. So then you're talking about you've not only built for people, but you've helped consult with people about what they want to do for their own home obstacles for people who don't feel confident in building this stuff on their own. Would you recommend that they um, contract this out to somebody like you or somebody local who is more familiar with this all?
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, if if you're not, you know, if it's one of those things where I have to explain what a drill is to you, you probably should not be building anything for yourself. Okay. 100%. I mean, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, there there have been some people I've talked to and they're like, yeah uh, we don't even know what you mean what do you mean by a drill bit and i'm like okay you're gonna i can i can kind of give you some ideas of stuff i was like but you're probably going to want to find somebody who knows what they're doing you know and it it doesn't hurt that it doesn't hurt to find somebody too that maybe you know does construction for a living they build things for a living um it doesn't hurt to find somebody who also has a little bit of knowledge about ocr you Mm know. Yeah, You know, because we had somebody down in uh, in Texas that I was talking to and stuff. And, and she hired somebody to come in and build some stuff for her. And I, I had, you know, we had kind of, we had talked and, you know, she kind of told me what she was looking for. And so I gave her some ideas, you know, how she could do some stuff. And she went and found somebody and paid him to, you know, put a rig in her backyard. But the guy also had some experience in OCR. He had done some races. So that does help. I mean, you get your average you know joe contractor and he's just the kind of guy that you know he does bathrooms he does porches maybe some fences but has no ocr experience it might be a little harder for him to quite grasp the idea you want what monkey bars and you want what (laughs) you know so it, it does help if you have somebody who has some experience on it but you know, for people that have no building experience and have no real desire to learn it, then yeah, absolutely. The smart idea is to get somebody to come in, build it for you, you know, just kind of, most contractors, if they, if somebody can kind of even pencil sketch out something, then the contractor should probably be able to build it. I won't say for sure, but should, (laughs) you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. So as you're talking more about you know, working with people, talking with them. Um, I know one of my good friends, um, Jess, she's on Instagram as Jess Lulu. She had said mm-hmm. that she came to you with um, ideas for her new house mm-hmm. and you were able to put together like a package of different like rig attachments mm-hmm. and whatever else. When talking to maybe somebody who's not local or somebody who is local either, regardless What does the consultation look like in determining what specific obstacles are going to work best for them? And then um, how do you go about putting that into a reality for them?
3: Well, with with people like that, it's kind of one of those deals. I kind of my first thing that I'm going to ask them is, what are you trying to work on? Okay, and how much room do you have? And then you know, what can we do so that if, say, all they're interested is in, like, attachments and monkey bars, well, guess what? You can just build a row of monkey bars, and you can just use straps and just hang it on the monkey bars, you know, for your grip attachments, okay? Don't have to go crazy on it. Um, For the people that want, like, you know, need an Olympus or something like that, you can, you know, I kind of try and tailor everything to what they are trying to work on. So. When someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about building a rig. And I'm like, okay, what is it that you're looking to get out of this rig? You know, how much room do you have? How much money do you want to spend? You know, because especially now since COVID and everything, uh, wood prices are exponentially higher than they were a year ago. Um, it's basically doubled the cost now. You know, so, you know, so for a rig that I, I could build for, say, $2,000 last year, you know, you're looking at almost $1,000 more in materials this year. It's, it stinks. It's kind of the way it is. But, you know, in last summer, there was when the prices had already started going up and wood was hard to find. I mean, it was getting ridiculous. I I, I built a rig for a guy. I'm um, near Chicago, and I ended up having to go to like in a two-hour radius around his house. I ended up having to go to six different stores to find all the wood I needed. Wow,
1: oh,
3: damn! You know, and and if you, and if you tried to order it, you were looking at, you know, four to ten weeks before the wood would actually show up. You know, um. So for people, it's get back to the original question where I took that choo-choo train to wherever I went. Um, it, it, it kind of just goes down to the person and what they're looking for. You know, I, like I said, I, I can't, I, I people ask me if I do plans and I really don't simply for the fact that everybody's looking for something different, you know,
0: mm-hmm, definitely
3: it just everybody is. So once they tell me what they're looking for and kind of how big they want it and, you know, things like that, then I'm able to kind of be like, well, here's, you can do this or you can do this, you know, or, you know, if someone tells me, Hey, I got a garage that's unfinished, all my rafters are open. I can see them all. Then I'm like, yeah, okay. Don't build anything. Use the rafters. You know, it's part of the structure of the house. If the house is not falling down, you can absolutely use rafters, you know, to hang things off of attach monkey bars to stuff like that. You know, so maybe, you know, originally they thought they were going to have to build a whole big old thing, and really they don't have to do anything other than, you know, tie into the rafters in their garage or the people that have basements. You know, I mean, there's floor joists in your basement. You can absolutely attach stuff to that as long as the ceilings are high.
1: In our post and backyard OCR, we actually saw a lot of people had set up fully functioning like. Almost like endless rigs, just just in their basements, off their floor joists, and the amount of like creativity people have come up with, where they incorporate like it's just like a small basement room, but the whole ceiling is one endless rig they can just go back and forth on, it was pretty pretty astounding. It was it's, amazing. You would be amazed, and I, I
3: think this is what I've found that people don't seem to realize. You would be amazed at how much stuff you can pack into a small area, you know, just based upon using, you know, you know, stuff for cliffhangers where you have it along the side, but it's right inside the lane that you've got a twister on. And, you know, I built a, I built a rig, um, over in Naperville in this guy's garage and he had 10 foot high ceilings, which is awesome, but I built a 10 foot by 10 foot rig. And on that thing, he's got cliffhangers, he's got two rows of grips attachments, he's got a twister, he's got monkey bars that go into incline monkey bars, and then devil steps, he's got a pegboard, it's all in a 10 by 10 area, and he's got so much stuff, you know, in such a small area, and if you're smart about how you hang things on it, then you can really pack a lot of stuff into a little area. So these people that are sitting there and, you know, maybe they think that, you know, well, I need like a 30 foot long, you know, rig so I can have this, this and this on it. And I'm kind of like, yeah, no, you could actually half the size of that and just, you know, utilize the space better and put stuff on the outsides and put stuff on the insides that, you know, don't get in the way of say grip attachments or anything like that. And yeah, suddenly you got a rig where you got like 10 different things you can do on it, you know, without, you know, it costing you, you know, a ton of money to make a 30 foot long rig when you can do it in a 12 by 12, you know. So that's, I think people don't seem to realize that you can really stuff awful lot of stuff onto a rig depending on, you know, how you set it up. And that's, that's part of the fun of when I build is seeing how much stuff I can put on a rig for somebody.
0: Yeah. And that's honestly such a great thing for training as well, because a lot of times as we get into more races, you know, not necessarily your Spartans, but even with Savage, we're seeing they're playing around with their different variations of their rigs. And you're not always just going ring to ring or ring to bar to rope, like they are changing The different rig attachments in and out at all of these different obstacle courses. Actually, at Boulder Dash um, over the weekend, their newest rig setup has floating pegboards into like one of those floating blocks. You use the pegs from the pegboard and the blocks to then go straight into the floating monkey bar. And then you finish off with another hanging, like a long hanging peg block, and then you hit the bell. And it's like all just simply by holding on to a wooden dowel. So being able to switch in and out from your different grip attachments, because that's what you're doing in training, is going to be so much more beneficial for when you do go to these very innovative obstacle courses.
3: No, absolutely. Because, I mean, I love Spartan. I still, Savage is still probably my favorite like big name race simply for the fact that they their obstacles are awesome and they really mix it up you know if i go if i go to a spartan race i'm already 99 sure what i'm going to see at the spartan race you know i mean there's not tons of new obstacles that they come out with but Savage, yeah, I never know what I'm going to get at Savage. You know, you go into one where you think it's going to be Twirly Bird, and it's like might be Twirly Bird, but then he's added a whole bunch of, you know, will add a whole bunch of other randomness in there, and you're just like, I don't even know how to even approach this, you know, particular rig. And I like rigs. Rigs are probably my favorite thing to do. But I'll get to some of his, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't even, I like, I don't even have a good plan for going into this rig. I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall off as these races evolve and especially with you know your smaller ones the ones that aren't quite as big they are to me and it makes sense is that you got to bring new stuff to the table and let people see new things and maybe take them way the heck out of their comfort zone you know where they're just like oh this whole rig is nothing but vertical hanging attachments Guess what? That's hard for people. You know, it's not horizontal grips. These are now vertical ones. And that that's just a tough thing to do. And when, when people get to a race and suddenly it's all vertical attachments, they're like, yeah, I don't even know what to do about this right now. Obviously my training hasn't been up to par. Maybe I need to see, maybe I've just found something I need to go work on, you know? And I, I think that's what you're gonna see from a lot of the smaller races is they're gonna come up with these really kind of wild obstacle combinations that you're you're not going to see at the bigger races per se so I like to see that I like to I like to come up with ideas like that at races you know I, I think that's what is going to keep the sport from getting stale I guess yeah uh-huh. at least that's just, you know where you're just like okay been there done that seen that when you get to something else, you know, one of these smaller races where they're like, Hey, check out this obstacle. And people are like, I've never seen anything like that before. You know, I mean the, like the floating walls for Indian mud run. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of signature to them, you know? I mean, I'm sure there's other people that have tried to, you know, borrow it and stuff like that, but, Until they did something like that, I mean, that wasn't something you were going to see at a Spartan race or anything like that. You know, that was a smaller race that came up with a, had a really good idea and came up with something that people are like, yeah, I don't even know what to do about this. This is totally different than anything I've ever seen. And I think that's what you're going to continue to see.
0: Definitely. And with that, I know that you have done some obstacle design for a few other races and you're coming up with new obstacles yourself can you talk about how you've come up with these obstacles and where we're seeing them pop up
3: okay well the the most recent one i did was last year for uh for frontline which was the the tracking which is basically like a it's a it looks like a twister but it's all vertical holes oh it's one of those Yeah. yeah i
0: heard it was total murder out there
3: it was it's it's not easy i mean even when i was building it and and to be fair it wasn't necessary. i have seen them before i've seen them like on um, like over in europe they, I, i've seen those kind of things over in europe but i hadn't really seen any in the states and to be like i said to be t- totally fair wasn't my idea to actually put it on a rig um a race and he had just said hey what do you think about this and i was like yeah i could do that and so then we talked about it and cause the race was supposed to be last year in May and then it ended up getting postponed till October. So I, I had time to like, you know, mess with it and work on it and stuff. And so I ended up changing up, you know, making some of the, uh, you know, some of the vertical attachments. I changed the lengths on them. You know, I made, you know, some of them were longer, some of them were shorter. You know, I, that was, that was my contribution to the, uh, the Kraken. But you know, just, it was just one of those, and I wasn't even initially going to do different lengths, and then I woke up at, like, two in the morning, because I tend to do that a lot, I come up with, I I come up with ideas while I'm sleeping, and if I don't write them down, I'll forget, and that was how that kind of played out, and so for that particular one, it was just, you know, just talk with somebody, and we kind of, like, got some ideas, and then I started thinking about it, and then I changed some things, and then it ended up, you know the final design is, you know, what it is, and
0: that's amazing. Hey, keep up with it because we need it in this sport.
3: See, I don't, I don't want it to get stale. I don't want it to get old. You, you know, and me both. You know, as soon as that happens, people get bored, and then they'll go find the next new thing to do. And well, then I kind of don't have a
1: job anymore.
3: So <laughs> I prefer, I prefer, if, I prefer if that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, definitely.
1: So, um. Cause right now we're in that like weird territory, especially with stuff going on with Savage where they're trying to figure out their difficulty ratings and same with Mm adventuries kind of talking about like their challenge rating as, Mm -hmm. as you design obstacles, do you, have you ever come across where you're coming up with something and you're like, this might be a little too hard. So do you end up building it and then scaling back from there? Or do you kind of try to find a happy medium as you're building?
3: Typically I try and find a happy medium. Mm -hmm. Um, as I, as I'm going, cause there, there's been some stuff I've done. And as soon as I'm like, just about done with it, I'm like, this is going to be stupid hard, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like, ah. I was like, you know, and I'll be like, so, I'll, you know, I'll throw it out there and talk to some people and see what they think and, you know, get their feedback on it and stuff like that. And there've been times where I'm like, I think this is too hard. And I've had people tell me, yeah, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. They're like, don't change a thing. people can't do it, then they're going to have to, you know, then they're just going to have to figure out what they need to do for their training to be able to do it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, I mean, I get that sort of thing and I've gotten some pushback from, you know, certain rig setups I've done, especially for Highlander. You know, there were some people that were like, you know, it's too hard. You know, they, you know, and I had been told, you know, women can't do it. And yet when I talked to some of the women, You know, a lot of them actually, they were like, yeah, I couldn't do it this time, but I know what I need to work on. And so I'm coming back for that thing. They're like, don't change it, you know, for the next, because Highlander did two races last year. Mm -hmm. And so, so I didn't change the rig. I just left it, you know, and the Highlander guys, the owners, you know, they were on board for it. They're like, yeah, just leave it. So I did. And you know what? Next go around, there was a whole lot more people that passed it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was, you know, I've I've been asked before, and it's something you know that my wife has posted about you know on my Instagram thing because she does you know a lot of the social media stuff because I'm too busy welding. Or when asking people, you know, there were I, I don't necessarily build things, you know. Now for races, this is just race specific. I don't necessarily build things to be easy. Okay, it, it's more I just build stuff so that if it is hard, well then maybe I just showed you a weakness and what you need to work on. You know, I, I sometimes look at it like that. You know, it's it's not that I'm trying to be a jerk face or anything as my daughter would say, but it's more just, you know, it's more just if it's too hard, is it actually legitimately too hard or is it, you're just not good enough at this point yet? Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds maybe like a harsh way to say it, but I've never gone into a race where there's been something I couldn't complete. I mean, it took me six tries going to Spartan races before I finally figured out Twister. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And now Twister's not a thing, okay? But, you know, and it didn't hurt that I built one for my life. That helped, too. But, you know, it was like six races, and I I just could not figure out what I needed to do. I would transition weird, and then I would end up, you know, just my grip wasn't strong enough or whatever, and I would just fall off of it. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that I just wasn't good enough at that point. I hadn't figured out the technique. I hadn't practiced enough. I wasn't to the point where I actually could do it. And so then when I actually could do it, because, you know, I'd figured it out, I'd worked on certain, you know, training and, you know, grip strength stuff that it suddenly is now not a big deal. I see Twister at a race. I'm like, okay, you know, and just go right across it and I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, so... To me it's kind of one of those things, is it too hard or is it you're just not good enough yet? You know, I'm perfectly fine with saying stuff that like Savage Race. Twirly bird? Oh, that sucker has my number every single year. <laughs> it it just it just does. So, you know, that's why I make, you know, Twirly birds now. So it it just does. And I, I fully recognize that and I just realized I'm just not good enough to get it yet. So Yeah. I mean, kind of, it's kind of how I go into stuff. Granted, I don't try and make something so ridiculously hard that, you know, basically no one can pass it. I don't, but some stuff is, it's just kind of a straightforward thing. It's a lot of vertical attachments your vertical grip
1: strength is awful. Then yeah, you're probably not going to pass that rig. Obstacles getting harder and people building these obstacles at home from a designer standpoint, would you suggest uh, people at home having some sort of uh, padding or fall prevention, like on their home obstacles when they're working on this stuff? Uh, yeah, it kind of depends on how high um, stuff
3: is. You know, if you got, you know, your monkey bars are, say, you're five foot two, for example, and your monkey bars, you know, I build them and, you know, they're like eight, eight and a half feet high. Hanging off that, you're going to drop about a foot, foot and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it really is up to the person. That's not something that, you know, I'm going to tell them to do it. it was something I, I suggest most people end up putting mulch down okay. underneath their rigs, you know, and then, then, then there's some people, you know, I built one rig for a guy, the guy's like six foot six, you know, and he's got super long arms and everything. And I built everything like 10 feet high for his entire rig, his monkey bars, his twister, everything. And yet if he falls off of it, he's only dropping down like a foot, you yeah. know, because he's just that tall. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he can stand, you know, and reach up and he's reaching up, you know, tips of his fingers are like nine feet high. So it really kind of depends on on the person and what they're going to be doing with it. If it's just monkey bars, most people aren't really that concerned about it, Yeah. to be honest. Um, if they're getting higher up in the air, then yeah, I'm going to recommend that they you know, bring in, have somebody come in and bring in mulch for them. It's not something uh-huh. I do. It's really, really up to them. You know, some people don't want it because they're, it's not what they're going to see in a race. I you know some people that are really, really specific about that. I want it to be what I'm going to see at the race. It, it really, like I said, I'll build it. I'll build it safely. You know, nothing's going to fall off on your head or anything like that, but it's kind of up to the people.
0: So, then for the people who are looking to start building their own backyard OCR or, you know, set up a rig in their house or whatever else, they are committing to this, but they obviously don't want to completely break the bank. What would your tips be to them to maximize their setups Um, cost effective and what should all be included? to make sure that they're getting the most bang for their buck?
3: For the most bang for your buck, just go with your basic, I, I would. I mean, you can start small. You can always add on to a wooden rig, you know what I mean? So for the people that just want to start out you know, small, they want to be able to do grip stuff, they want to be able to do monkey bars, just build yourself a run of monkey bars. Make it about four feet wide. Make yourself a run of monkey uh, mon- monkey bars. You can attach hanging attachments off of it. You know, you can, you know, I mean, for most of the people, it's going to be the monkey bar stuff. It's going to be grip attachments. Those are the biggest things that most people want to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you build yourself, you know, 12 foot long run of monkey bars, you can go back and forth as many times as you want. But it's also easy to just hang grip attachments off of it, you know, using the straps, you know, and you can take them off. You can, you know, bring them in the house if you want to, you know, if you don't want them to sit out in the snow or the rain or whatever. Um, that's That's like the absolute bare minimum, I think, that people can just start with. And then if later on, you know, they want to put in, say, a section of Olympus, well, you can attach that to your posts on the outside, you know, just add a little bit more the framework in and suddenly you can put an Olympus down one side of your monkey bars. Easiest thing to do though is is monkey bars straight off the get go. And, you know, it doesn't take up a lot of room and you can attach a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's, those are the common obstacles that you're going to see pretty much anywhere you go. You're going to have something similar to monkey bars, rigs, whatever else. And depending on how high you go, you can maybe attach a rope climb to the end that you can take down and put back up and, um, any kind of hanging thing is always a good place to start with obstacle courses.
3: Absolutely, I mean, let's face it. What are you going to see at most? It's obstacle courses. A lot to do with being able to run and having good grip strength. I <laughs> that's really you got those two things down. You're you're probably going to do all right at OCR.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and as people are building more of their monkey bars and whatever else. Have you noticed um, any real differences between the types of handles people are using on their monkey bars? I know some people use just a straight ladder. Some people use a wood ladder. Some people will use straight wooden dowels or metal dowels. Um, In your professional opinion, what works the best and what kind of has the best impact when it comes to your hands, your grip strength, everything else?
3: Um, you talking for like the rungs on the monkey bars? Um, you're not gonna want to use wood. <laughs> it's just really not. Depending, especially depending on how wide apart your rig is. If you go four feet, it's gonna be, first off, it's gonna be kind of hard to find wooden rods that are you know that long that aren't like pieced together. And woods just for that aspect, woods awful for um for rungs. It just is. I mean I've seen people that have done it, but it's, it's they're just not strong enough. Um the easiest thing to the easiest thing to do and the least expensive thing to do is go out and buy a galvanized conduit for like electrical. The EMT conduit is galvanized so it's not gonna rust when it's outside. It's also a thinner wall, it's not heavy. Um or you can just go with the inch and a quarter um galvanized like plumbing pipe. It's, you know, it's easy enough to cut, it's solid, it's strong, you know, and it's, once again, galvanized, so you don't have to worry about the rust aspect of it. And then, also, as a side note, pressure-treated wood, whatever they use in it is, uh, if you just use bare metal, it will actually cause it to rust a whole lot quicker. So, I should mention that, too. So, as far as, like, when you're using, you know, the hardware, you use the screws and the stuff, you can't use well you can it just means it's going to fail quicker but um you can't use like zinc plated you got to use stuff that's designed to be used with pressure treated wood so like when I was talking about those construction lags that I use those are either galvanized or they've been treated with a coating that allows it to be used with pressure treated wood which will keep them from rusting that's kind of an important thing because otherwise your stuff will just start rusting and Yeah, then it's just going to fail on you. Nobody Mm -hmm. needs that in their life. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. So, anyway, back to the the monkey bar rungs. Um, For most people, I end up using, like, inch and a quarter pipe. Either the inch and a quarter EMT conduit, which is, like, a thinner wall, but still strong enough to hold a person. Or I use the inch and a quarter, like, plumbing pipe, which is is heavier. it's stronger than like the EMT conduit both will work Um, and that's typically the average size I use on most people's monkey bars however I get those people that are like they're all about the Spartan and so then I'll go with a bigger size pipe to more sim you know get closer to simulating the size of the Spartan bars you know you know over two inches.
1: Yeah and just uh, as you were talking about the Pressure treated, and the types of metal to use. That was actually one of the questions we've been asking just ourselves. What, like, with the obstacles that go outside, what kind of maintenance go into these things? Because they like they sit. I mean, I know a little bit of just pressure treated wood just from like working on some like house projects with my dad. But like, I don't know when it comes to obstacles. I feel like since something that can uh, sometimes move around and be, do these things need to be retightened up, or is it just uh, what's the process of like? When you make an obstacle for somebody, do you have to like tell them like, "Hey, you should do this, this, and this"?
3: Well, mostly using these construction lag screws, like I use, those things those are designed to really bite into the wood, and once they're tightened down, they basically don't ever loosen up. Okay. Um. So you know, that's the difference between like using a bolt you know, and a nut and washers and stuff, sometimes those will loosen up. I've never had any issues with these construction lags loosening up. You know, I check them periodically, just look. I mean, if you see you got like an inch worth of screw backed out, then yeah, you might need to tighten that. But, you know, I haven't noticed that yet. Now, bolts, bolts are another story. I've had it where even using a lock washer on it, you know, which is designed to keep the nut from coming undone, I've seen where they'll loosen up over time. For the most part, you know, unless it's a, unless it's like a semi-permanent deal, um, where, you know, it's designed to be like moved around the yard, like you could slide it someplace else, you know, um, I don't, I haven't noticed much of any where stuff has started to come loose. I mean, it's one of those things you should probably always check same way as if you just put up a playground or a little play set for your kids or something like that. It's still one of those things periodically you ought to just glance it over it and, look but for the most part if it's if it's cemented into the ground you know it's got a solid enough base there's not a whole lot of you know really chance for it to you know stuff to back out same way as if you like built a a deck or something like that chances are it's not not that's not to say it couldn't but more than likely not gonna happen so and then as far as like the pressure treated wood itself I always tell people, very few people have ever done it, even though I've always, you know, every, every time I've built for somebody, but there are a few that have. I wasn't hurt, you know, after the pressure, because pressure treated wood is is typically wet when you first get it, and you got you to gotta let it dry for a little while before you can like paint it or, you know, put Thompson's water seal on it. Typically, I tell people, you know, hey, after, you know, five, six weeks or whatever, after the wood's kind of dried out, just go out there and spray it down with some Thompson's water seal just one more barrier to keep the water out, you know, it it, it doesn't hurt it, yeah, so that's just one of those things I'm trying to, just so that, you know, I mean, because they're putting it, they're making an investment, you know, in something, you know, it's not, it's not easy or cheap to build rigs, you know, when somebody buys a rig, you know, you want it to last for as long as, you know, it can for them, so, I mean, is it going to last forever? No, I mean, it's wood, it's just a Eventually, it'll just go bad. But you know, try and make it as last as long as you can, right? You know, fifteen, twenty years. If you're still doing if you're you're still doing OCR at that point, you know, maybe your kids will be into it then. You know,
0: (laughs) kids, grandkids. Let's get everybody involved.
3: Yes, everybody,
0: everybody. So we're getting towards the end of our time, but obviously, we are talking with you because there is this newfound interest in everybody building their own um backyard OCRs, their own training equipment. From your professional opinion, what are the most common errors that you've seen people do and what kind of hidden secrets can you tell us to make sure people are maximizing their backyard OCRs?
3: Um biggest the biggest problems I've seen with people is they it's kind of just them trying to go too cheap on stuff. They don't want to buy pressure treated wood, so they go with non pressure treated wood because it's less expensive. It's also going to wear out a whole lot sooner, you know. Um, mm-hmm. People just going, because the hardware that I use, it's not cheap. I mean, you get a hundred of these construction lag screws, you know, the four inch long ones, and it costs you $50 for a hundred. It's not cheap, but it's also the right stuff to use. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the people are sitting there, yeah, but I can buy this box of screws for, you know, I can get 300 for, you know, 28 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, but those aren't strong enough, you know? So I think it's one of those deals where people want to have a good rig, but they don't want to actually spend the money for the good rig. You know, um, you want to make sure it's strong enough. You want to make sure it's going to last, you know? And, Cutting corners is the absolute worst thing you can do when you're building something like this, especially when you figure, you know, you're launching around on stuff and swinging, you know, doing, you know, stuff like that. If I, like I said, if I'm not going to let my kids play on it, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to build something for you. You know, I've had, I've had, you know, I've quoted some stuff for people and they're like, yeah, that's too expensive. And I'm like, okay, but this is how I'm going to build it. So I'm not going to cut corners on it. This is, this is what it costs. You know, and and that's not you know, I, I, I get it, and that and that's fine. You know, if someone doesn't you know want to pay that, it's not that I'm saying they're cheap, or maybe it's just outside their budget at this point. That's fine, but I'm not gonna you know build something subpar in order to get it underneath the cost that you feel it should be. Yeah, definitely. So definitely. I think that's the big. I think that's the biggest thing for people is that when they're going to build something in their backyard, whether they build it or whether they have somebody else build it for them. It's one of those deals where you got to think about the safety of the people that are going to be on it. You got to think about how long you expect it to last. You got to think about the materials you use. It needs to be strong enough and it needs to be good materials. You know, mm-hmm. don't cut corners cuz hey, look, I can get an untreated 2 by 10 you know, for, you know, $17 and this pressure treated one is 36. Well, I'm going to go with the untreated. Guess what? In a few years that sucker is going to order to be starting to rot. It just will. You know, it's going to be outside in the elements. Even if you paint it, it's still not going to last as long as pressure treated. So, don't go cheap. That's that's kind of a, you know, don't go cheap on it. I'm not saying you got to don't cut corners in order to get your, you know, your perfect rig. Maybe you just need to like build part of it now. And then, you know, play play on that for a while and save up your money and then build another, you know, section of it.
1: So Aaron, I really, me and Megan really want to thank you for coming on. And we wanted to offer you, I mean, our platform that you can promote and plug whichever you'd like, how, uh, all the stuff you offer to the community, because for us, you have been an amazing continuous support. Um, and we really wanted to offer you the same platform, uh, especially with the... I mean your business and the races you work uh, you work for.
3: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It's like I said, it's that's one thing that I've always loved about the OCR is just the community. You know, it's you know there's a lot of it's a lot of really great people out there. You know, and it and it's nice to be able to be you know part of a community where everybody, for the most part, I mean, you still got some of those people out there but for the most part everybody is really you know they're they care you know they're helpful Mm -hmm. you know and and that's the thing that I've always tried to you know yes yes this is a business for me yes this is you know how I'm you know slowly but surely trying to you know make a living but at the same time it's it wouldn't be near as much fun if we didn't have the community out there you know 100 you know, percent you know it'd be one of those things where i'm like oh look i'm making stuff you know if that was the case then yeah i would be instead of me making my own stuff because i make all my stuff you know this isn't if you get it from me then guess what i had my hands on it i welded it i grind you know i was grinding on it i blasted it i power coated it or my wife did or I made my son jump in there and help me out with stuff but i mean it's We're just, uh, you know, it's just me and my wife, you know, (laughs) you know, and she's got her, you know, and she's got a nine to five job that she goes and works and this is what I do. So yes, I do. It is a business. Yes. I would, you know, like to make a profit at this and, and, you know, have this be the business that I do for years to come. But it's also one of those deals where if I'm sacrificing quality, you know, or the fact that if I ship something out, guess what? I've had my hands on it. I, I know it's good. You know, I'm not going to, you know, if it's not good, then guess what? You'll probably see it on my rig at some point at the house because I'll be like, yeah, I can't send this to anybody. So we're just going to fart around on it and play on it. You know, so, oh, look, I messed up on this one. You know, I, I ding this or, you know, scratch it up so bad I can't use it or send it to anybody. So guess what? I'm We're going to play on this one. So that that's kind of the thing. I mean, I've tried to always, you know, I try and keep the quality just as high as I can, and you know, make some money off of it, and don't cut any corners. That's kind of my thing. Don't cut the corners. It's that's how you get stuff that's subpar. It's not as good.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's safety issues involved, and nobody wants that. So I've been hearing rumors about about this four foot long um, twister that you can hang almost anywhere. And I'm thinking I need to get my hands on one. Um, what else do you offer for people who maybe aren't local to you in the Chicagoland, Illinois area? So like, say for me in Boston, what would I still be able to order from you and be able to hang around in my backyard?
3: Well, if, if it's on my website, you can order it. I figured out how to You know, even my full size twister, I I ended up making it in two pieces with, you know, so it can be bolted together so that I can ship, you know, full eight foot long twisters around. Because initially initially when I first made the original eight foot twister, I had somebody, such a nightmare story. This this is how you start a business and then lose so much money in the beginning because it's just so I made this eight foot twister and I had, you know, I built some for, you know, my wife and stuff. And I put some on a rig that I took to a race and, you know, had some local people buy them because they're eight feet long, they're expensive to ship. So I had uh, someone out in California and she was like, I need one of those twisters. I was like, yeah, but do you have any idea how much shipping is? I was like, "Shipping's going to be like $250, you know? And I was like, and the thing only weighs like, you know, it weighs like 45 pounds, you know, all total. Cause just what it's made out of. But I was like, it's still gonna be like 50 pounds because it's eight feet long and, you know, shipping companies charge by dimensional. She's like, nope, I want one. So I was like, okay. So she paid the $250 for shipping. I shipped it to her and it took way longer than it was supposed to and it was FedEx and I hate FedEx. They smashed the box, trashed the whole thing up. It was scratched when it got there. She didn't care. She was really nice about it. And then after the fact, FedEx charged me an extra $800 in freight. Woof. Wow. <sighs> yeah. So I spent wow. over a thousand dollars to ship that to her. And this was like just where I, cause starting this whole business, I've never gone in debt on it. It was all just, you know, money that, you know, we had and just, I have never wanted to go into debt. Could I get bigger, quicker? Probably. But i just, I kind of want to just grow it organically. I don't want to sit there and end up, you know, find myself $40,000 of debt by the end of the year. And then mm-hmm. everything goes to crap. And then suddenly I owe money and I'm out of business and I, I never wanted that. So, you know, there I was, I was like, yeah, we totally got 600 bucks in the bank. I'm like, Holy smokes. A business checking account just got overdrafted because they charged me after the fact. Oh. So that was a nightmare, but it was after that, that I figured out, while sleeping again, I woke up at like two in the morning. I was like, Hey, I got an idea. I know how I can make these in two pieces and it dropped shipping prices from 250 to $50. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So just based upon the size of it now. So if it's on my website, you know, my floating monkey bars, stirrup grips, cannonballs, um, the, the rope nunchucks, climbing ropes, twirly birds or twirly beards as people named it. The, uh, you know my mini twisters, all those—they're all shippable. You know, I mean, I've—I've I've actually been able to ship to somebody in Ireland now, and Canada, you know, for a ninja gym up there and stuff. You know, so I, I've shipped all—I've shipped all over the country at this point. And those mini twisters, those, uh, yeah, people like those. And to think, I was just like, hey, I got some extra material. What can I do with it? And so I was like, I'm going to make some mini twisters. And I didn't know that they would actually sell as well as they're selling. So I was like, oh, great. So
0: that and I'm like, that is something that I need to put in my truck and I can just like throw over some random thing at a park or whatever else. And like Mm -hmm. I set up my mobile training pretty much anywhere around Boston. And those mini twisters are going to be primo to teaching people like more obstacles. It's awesome. I love it. So you. Have this stuff on your website available. Uh, what is the website for people to find you at?
3: Uh, RaceReadyObstacles dot
0: Okay, and then that's also Race Ready yeah. Obstacles on your social platforms as well. Yes. Perfect. And what races are can we expect to see you out at this year?
3: Um, I'll be at uh, Highlander Dark Ages on uh, May first. Then I'll be, uh, frontline is May 29th, I believe uh, I'll be there. And then in July Highlander's going to have another, uh, uh, Highlander will actually have their full blown race, not their night race that they're doing at the beginning of May. That's in July. I'll be there and yeah, we'll see. We'll go from there. I'm still working on a bunch of different other races I might be bouncing around to, So.
0: Amazing. Well, I know we are going to be seeing you. I think we are signed up for the full-blown Highlander, so we will be seeing you for sure out there, but hopefully we will be ordering some stuff off of the website soon, and we will hopefully see you before then as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was honestly such a huge help for us and for the community. I can't wait to see more race-ready rigs popping up on social media.
3: Well, that should be happening pretty soon. It's starting to get starting to get warmer here. So I got a got a few few projects lined up.
0: Awesome. We can't wait to see it.
3: Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. All right. Yep. Yeah, you guys have a great day.
0: That was such incredible information from Aaron. Really? He just dropped that knowledge bomb on us. He gave us so much useful info for everybody who's really starting their own backyard OCR. Um, After we finished recording, we did talk a little bit more about just some of the environmental kinds of stuff. And Aaron really wanted to make sure to stress that you talk to the utility companies in your area Make sure that they come out mark any electrical and underground lines to make sure that you're not hitting a power line or anything else when you go to dig out your rigs. Um also just make sure that your in- homeowner's insurance is aware of the rig and he said it's usually no worse than a swimming pool or a kids playground. So just be upfront and honest with your insurance company. Make sure to double check with your um, homeowners association if you have one. Um, He said it's taken up to a year before for some people in an HOA to get approved. Uh, But otherwise, each city is different. But for the most part, he's never had to deal with um, very much in terms of permitting when setting up any backyard OCRs.
1: Aaron wasn't the only information we got on this. Like I said, uh, with Aaron, with the boom of COVID, we saw the resurgence of people building stuff in the backyard, and we actually saw a resurgence uh, within the group of, on Facebook, Backyard OCR. And we went on there uh, to just get some insight from people who have also, you know, as this podcast is talking about, built their own obstacles in their backyard. And the amount of responses and the amount of photos that we had from people was truly astounding because i was surprised how many people have either set up rigs in their basements or have built rigs in their backyards and not just like standard like post-to-post rigs they've built giant like 16 foot long box rigs that every little piece is made up to be some form of another obstacle and like it was truly surprising to see this type of like carpentry out there because Not too long ago, having a any type of obstacle in your backyard was like such a rare commodity. And now it's starting to become such a common thing.
0: Yeah, what I found most astounding of the responses we got is it sounds like most people actually created their own obstacles. They didn't have any plans to work off from. Mm -hmm. Um, They saw these different rigs being built and they just went about it and said, hey, how can I do this myself? Um, So if you don't know where to start with your rig builds. So like Aaron had mentioned, every single person has different needs for their rig. So if you don't know where to start, reach out to Aaron, reach out to a local carpenter and let them know what specifically you are looking to do for your training. And then from there, you can plan it out based on what space you have, um, you know, what your weather might look like, or what, you want to do with your own rig system. Because remember, everybody has a little bit of different needs, whether it's, you know, the type of equipment they need to use because of climate and what their area deals with year round, um, or, you know, what specific races you plan to run or what specific needs you have in your OCR training.
1: Uh, And I wanted to highlight one of the community feedbacks we got from facebook because it was when he posted the photos i wasn't sure if i was looking at someone's backyard or if this was like an actual like professional obstacle course built somewhere and it was built by uh i'm I, i hope i'm pronouncing the last name correctly it's jason i'm guessing it's Dooley or it's a dully I apologize, wh- whichever the pronunciation is, but he is with CLE underscore OCR, so Cleveland OCR, but CLE underscore OCR. I just wanted to read off a bit of kind of the stuff he shared with us because we recently shared uh, a couple of the photos he sent us of his uh, obstacles on our social media, and they are like they are super impressive because he's used every little bit of space to somehow replicate one of the new any of the obstacles in the sport. So for him, it started off as, uh, started off with building the four foot wall and the the eight foot wall. No plan to go off of, just kind of sunk some posts in the ground, framed them out and added plywood. Super simple to put together. After that, I was hooked on making my backyard into the ultimate training ground. I drew up plans myself, ensuring that I don't waste any space and utilized every part of that build. So in the box in my backyard, I wanted one side to have monkey bars and the other to be interchangeable as a rig. I didn't want the outside to be wasted, so I added Spartan's Olympus on one side and a traverse wall on the other. For this one, it was all built from pressure-treated lumber from Home Depot, and I put most of it together myself in about two days, which is, that's really impressive. Wait, Uh, that was all
0: done in two days? Two
1: days, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's an impressive build time. Can I Um, hire this guy up?
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: And then he went on to say... uh, I love my big rig. This is bad boy is about 36 feet long. He built it this last March when Ohio went into full shutdown mode. It all started with a quick sketch to get an idea of the supplies I needed and spacing of the post, etc. It, uh, it has two different lanes, which included T-bars, nunchucks, savages, twirly bird, floating walls, pipes, cannonballs, gibbons, rings, etc. So he's got the uh, he, he's got most of the rigs figured out on this one. On the outside of the rig, one side has a 24-foot cliffhanger wall, while on the other side has Nuclear Ninja, a pegboard, and infinity bars. This rig was built by myself with the help of two friends for Extra Muscle, and we got it done in about three days. Three days! <laughs> including wow. painting. And also cutting and welding all of the gibbons and steel grips holds. That's three days. Jeez. And so I asked him because when I was talking with them, it seemed like... I was like, I have to be talking with someone like Aaron. They do this for their job. So Jason is actually a uh, high school art teacher. Him and his brother are self-taught woodworkers. They build furniture, decks, campers, you name it. It's He's always been working with his hands. So it's kind of the same with Aaron. They were always building stuff. Uh, he wanted to have his backyard be a training place and also uh, wanted to bring kind of anyone local. So that's where it really kind of pushed him to build these style of rigs and kind of open it up for others to use. And he did stress that he consulted a legal expert and they, he has people sign a waiver, but he doesn't charge. And that's where he came up with the Cleo OCR. So Klee OCR, they run uh, on Sundays at Metro Park or stadium workouts every week for free for anyone who wants to join. Him and his friend bring all the equipment themselves. They run a five to eight mile OCR workout. Um, He also does host events for his backyard. Um, You can really find all this information on their Instagram. I believe if you're also in the area, they have their Facebook group as well. And it's just uh, Klee underscore OCR. But it's definitely another one of those things that you come across in the sport where you're like, there are so many talented people out there to like Mm -hmm. what used to be a sport where it's like, I always thought there's no way. You could find these obstacles anywhere else, but like the professionals who build them. And we have this crazy resurgence of people building. Like he's built what? A small replica of almost every obstacle in the sport.
0: Jason isn't the only person we heard from, though, in this backyard OCR group. Actually, um, Jarrett Newby of Noob Sanity also um, responded. And if you're not familiar with Noob Sanity, it is a training grounds out near the Binghamton area in New York. So if you ran like a Greek peak, they're not too far from that Cortland um, Spartan race that happened, not this year, but the last three years out in upstate New York. But Jared Newby said that he and his dad lived next door to each other and they just started building obstacle courses in the backyard to train for World's Toughest Mudder. They've since continued to expand, and in fact, we started the show with his quote about building the obstacles with the vision for the future and constantly growing to adapt to your abilities. He said the most impactful obstacle for training for them is the rig, and the most fun is their 15-foot quarter pipe, which is called rip curl. They decide what obstacles to build based on what they think will be fun. And honestly, I haven't been out to run Noob Sanity yet. I'm hoping I can get out there for the Noob Sanity Fit Ultra in August. Um, But I have heard such amazing things about that course. Something like there are two different courses with a trail run and with like a mud course. Um, I have heard it's phenomenal.
1: And I think the final thing that kind of like highlights a lot of the backyard OCR stuff is kind of what Mark Primo said also on our post, which is the necessity of it. Mark built his setup out of necessity. He wasn't able to go to courses often enough to train and it was expensive. Mark built this whole rig system in his basement. We had like on our post, he posted the video and it was when I was talking to Aaron, he was a video was referencing where it was just kind of this endless flow of obstacles and stuff to hang off of from his ceiling. He said his favorite, his favorite uh, obstacle has to be monkey bars. He feels like he's a flying, especially when he skips one. He's pretty creative, but also did a lot of races and got some ideas from the courses. Best advice to set up your course inside if possible. Many people say you only have four Tarzan ropes, but I have any multiple of four by going back and forth. Training inside is more fun, enjoyable, and you can get a more apt to do a workout. Uh, the equipment also lasts longer, which... Aaron did also bring up that, like, if the inside your basement uh, thing that has floor joists or really strong exposed overhangs, you'd be able to string stuff up to, and that really is making the most of, like, the inside, and it is a little bit lower cost.
0: Like Aaron said, like, when you're starting out with your backyard OCR, start with something small, knowing that you can always expand from it. So if you are starting in the basement, you know, maybe just hang your monkey bars there or your multi-rig there. One person who has been a great support for us, Lisa Nondorf. I know she is a what? Conquer the Gauntlet pro, I believe. She is a pro-female. She said that her husband found scaffolding on Craigslist for super cheap and they bought it. From there, it catapulted into um, continuing to expand their rig and their OCR training. They then got a warp wall from a race series that shut down. They have monkey bars and then um, they also have a rock wall, which is wooden sheets. So if they ever need to move it, it can always be taken down. So remember, like utilize what you have around you. Craigslist can be a phenomenal place to find rigs and then start with maybe just one system and think about how can i continue to expand as i need more space so yeah. purchasing more rig attachments or you know hey i have one side of this rig that's open so let's attach maybe an olympus or a z wall uh-huh. or something else and you can slowly put together this badass piece of backyard ocr equipment in this teeny tiny little space um speaking of continuing to expand we did have the opportunity to head out to boulder dash over the weekend where we talked with lynn hall boulder dash is a race series out of rhode island it started as a mobile race brand that would set up their races on different sites in the rhode island area and until 2019 when lynn reached an agreement with their home site now, Canonicus, which is a camp, and they have allowed them to set up their course more permanently. So over the last couple years, Lynn and her crew has continued to build up their OCR on this camp grounds.
1: Yeah, playing on their rigs and their equipment this past weekend uh seeing some of the stuff they're working on like we talked with Aaron. they're currently troubleshooting and figuring out their uh what was it the uh kiss my grips
0: yep their rig yeah. obstacle
1: their rig obstacle kiss my grips and also playing on their latest obstacle pallet cleanser we took time to interview lynn out on course we did record this with one mic just back and forth while we were out in the wind so if there is some wind on this we do apologize but we worked with the best we had on that Let's get into our interview with Lynn from Boulder Dash.
0: And we are here today with Lynn Hall of Boulder Dash. Thank you again so much, Lynn, for letting us come out and run the course today. It was absolutely amazing. And everyone cannot wait to come out for Winter Dash. So, because we are talking about backyard OCR today, Boulder Dash is the um, most amazing backyard OCR I've ever seen. Uh, So can you just kind of talk a little bit more about how Boulder Dash got started and how you came to be about, and I always butcher the name, is it Kanakis, Camp? (laughs) Kanonicus. Kanonicus, okay. So how, where did you guys start from and how did you um, come to
2: be at Kanonicus? um camp. Nice job on the side one. <laughs> <I'm> trying. <laughs> All right. So, um basically Boulder Dash started in 2011. Um had it first its first event in 2011. Um I like to say the Boulder Dash was born in the back seat of my car. Uh, because basically we went out and did the first uh Spartan race in and uh in Amesbury okay, and on our way back, being the Rhode Islanders that we are, mm-hmm. we decided we wanted to do it again, but we didn't want to have to drive that far. <laughs> so I was told from the back seat of my car, build one. The first year we did it at the only um, ski area in Rhode Island that's still in operation and that's okay. uh, Yago Valley Ski. And we were there for six years. Um, Year three, we started to travel a little bit more. So we would build Take Down um, and we had Musquamica Beach that year. We had uh, the um, Kids of Ace for the first time in 2003, uh, excuse me, 2013. And from there on, we started to go two, three, four events a year. multiple 50 foot trailers of obstacles Mm -hmm. um, and just deciding where is it going to be. We went to Rocky Point, which is an old amusement park. Um, We went to Scarborough Beach. We went to Yagu and then in 2016, I believe was our first winter dash here at Canonicus.
0: Okay, awesome. So you live very close to Canonicus. So it is very much in your neighborhood. So that kind of works out absolutely perfect for you. How often are you here building out the course now?
2: I am definitely here weekly, um, especially in certain months. In the winter months, we can be here a little bit less. Um, There's not a lot of growth on the course, that kind of thing. So we don't have to be doing a lot of that. But in the summertime, we're here a lot more often because there is an incredible amount of growth because we curated most of the trails here, or I should say re-curated most of the trails here. They were here, many of them, Mm -hmm. um, before we came. They were just overgrown because they weren't as used.
0: Awesome. So for people who are really looking to set up their own types of rigs and obstacle course um, training equipment in their house, um, can you walk me through how you brainstorm a new obstacle to the point where it's in fruition, um, the safety stuff that goes through, checking weight capacities, um, testing it out? um, How does that all
2: come about? Sure, that's, I mean, it's a tough one because when you're inventing something that hasn't been done before, To take it to an engineer or to take it to someone um you know it's it's a little bit difficult to go that route um because they don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean um so when it's something that's brand new um it's a little bit more difficult to do that um when it's something that sort of has been done be an eight-foot wall a seven-foot wall you know those kinds of things you can definitely you know look and talk to people Um, but the most important thing to me um, when we're building is to overbuild So when I see something that's really super cool and I go, I want that, I bring it to my builder um, and we have someone who has been with us since year one. um, And I bring it to my builder and he looks at me and he rolls his eyes and he says, oh God, what are you doing now? Um, And I just say, I want that. And he's like, yeah. And I say, figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I would never suggest to build anything on your own. You need someone who knows what they're doing. Um, so I might have the idea, Mm -hmm. but he's the one that comes up with the build. Um, and like I said, we overbuild everything. So if we're looking at a quick link that we want to make sure has like a 650 capacity, then it's going to have a 1250 capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't use, um, for the most part, we don't use uh, open eye hooks. We only use closed. They're a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that's just a safer way to do things. So we try and do things like that. Chain is another thing that we use often. Again, you just wait, check in the weight capacity. Um, there's a lot of straps out there that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because we're outside we're there, and it's staying for a while, especially at the Canonicus location, we are using um, straps that are more industrial versus OCR Um, and that's just because we want them to last longer Um, so again we sort of have that overbuild in our head um, to make sure that things are safe and 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 there for longevity
0: awesome so then at Canonicus you can you have the ability to keep the obstacles up do you keep them up year-round
2: We're starting to. Um, We started to do that, I think, two years ago, and that's mostly through a partnership with uh, a nonprofit that I founded called Find Your Bold. Um, And Find Your Bold is actually housed within Canonicus and works in partnership with Boulder Dash to help people build self-esteem through overcoming obstacles.
0: That's so awesome. So then, as you're putting more obstacles up and keeping them up longer, what are you doing to help preserve the obstacles to making sure you're not having to replace them, um, you know,
2: more more frequently? So we'll use on braces. We've started using a little bit more pressure treated as long as it's something that someone's not gonna touch. we don't use a lot of pressure treated just because of, you know, the obvious factors with pressure treated. Someone could get a splintering, you know, that's not good. Um, but so we use a little bit more pressure treated where we can use it. Um, then it's just a lot of ceiling painting um, out there looking at it. Um, you know, you got to check everything. You've got to check every single screw. You've got to check every single strap. Um, straps are great because they're strong and they're versatile but they wear on wood. Mm -hmm. So you got to check all of your wear points. Um, Chain is great because it's strong and it's wonderful. And it's, again, it's versatile, but it digs into your wood. So now you got to think about, okay, what's, you know, what's that, what's happening with the the wood? Um, So there's always something to look at. Um, Basically, you've got to check every single tiny piece that you built and make sure that it's in the same place and the same capacity that you built it in um every time that you go out and we do that multiple times a year
0: okay so how often then would multiple times a year be for you is it dependent on how often you're having people out here or is there a strict schedule
2: there's not a strict schedule because everything was built at a different time Mm -hmm. so it's hard to say yeah we go through this many times a year Mm -hmm. um anytime we're out here we're checking and we're out here once a week so if i walk by an obstacle i'm checking it um There is a regular check of every single obstacle before any big event. Um, And then that regular, you know, I would never get on an obstacle until I looked at it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whether it was in my backyard, somebody else's race, my race, um, you know, you wanna take that quick peek of making sure everything's, you know, the way you want it and you feel safe to go over it. Um, So generally speaking, I may just be out on a walk at Canonicus. If I walk by an obstacle, I'm taking a little peek. Um, and then another thing because we're out all year and if someone's building something in their backyard, you've got to be aware of bugs, um, not just wasps, bees, that kind of thing, but is something eating your wood. Right. You know what I mean? Um, is something eating the tree near your obstacle? Mm-hmm. You know, do you need to be aware of what's going on around your obstacle, not just the obstacle itself? Mm-hmm. Do you need padding under the obstacle? Is it is it very tall? Um, so there's just a lot more than, hey, I want an obstacle course in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um just think like i said you got to think it through and talk the most important thing is to talk to someone who knows what they're doing um nobody wants to build something to have fun and end up getting hurt
0: so we see on instagram facebook everywhere that You guys have been out here all winter, constantly building and updating the course. You now have a couple different trail um, run courses. You have your three, five mile obstacle courses. Um, You're constantly just updating, which is absolutely amazing. Um, One thing we tried out today was the Kiss My Grips, which I know last time I was here, it was just Gibbons. We've seen the cheese wedges before. Today you had floating peg boards that you needed to swing across into a peg block, which turned into the gibbons and then another long hanging peg block to a bell, which honestly is probably the most difficult obstacle I've ever seen. That and your Jacob's ladder, what is it called? Twisted or something. Um, the difficulty out here is phenomenal. It is really going to continue to challenge people. Um, so for people who are maybe coming out for Winter Dash or some of the other races that you're gonna have, or people just looking to come out for boot camp, do you have any suggestions for them that what they can be doing at home to continue to train for this level of difficulty, whether it's Boulder Dash or we're seeing difficulty being raised for like a Savage Race in OCRWC, what kinds of training would you say people can continue to do at their house without feeling the need to build these massive rigs like you're doing?
2: sure not everybody everybody can build a massive rig Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely um and it depends if you're looking at your gym or if you're looking like at your living room yep um there are tons of different things that you can do but for me the bottom line is core strength um if you can't hold your body safely -hmm. Then there's just a high potential to get hurt, so that's that's the biggest one. Um, Whether it be yoga, whether it be planks, whether it be balance work, you know, all of those different things that help you build that core. So that's like your base. Yep. Um, Grip is another thing, Um, and you can use a lot of things in the house for grip. You can use a a, you know a a jug of water. You can use you know all kinds of different things. Letting go and grabbing it back is another Mm -hmm. great thing for a grip. Um, What I love for peg. Um, is if you have a door frame that you can put a pull-up bar that has the pull-up handles that bring you in more of a like a tricep pull-up. Yeah,
0: like the parallel grip.
2: Yes, that's what that, to me, that's great because that's your grip on yep. a peg. And if you just simply let go of one so that you can learn how to transition from one hand to the other, or just loosen your grip on one while you transition your body weight mm-hmm. to the other. And you can even start to slowly practice the swing yep. while you're there. I think that that's a really inexpensive option. And mm-hmm. most people do have that doorway. Some don't, but if you have that doorway to hang yeah. that up safely, I think that's an awesome one. Yeah. Um, other than that, you can use, you know, a lot of kettlebells are great because, again, you're talking about grip. Yeah. Um, you're also talking about a lot of uh, core and, you know, just kind of looking at generally looking at the body mechanics of what that obstacle is that you're trying to overcome mm-hmm. and then thinking about that and sort of replaying that at home. Mm hmm.
0: And now we see a lot of people that are starting to hang their own rig attachments in their house. Do you have any background with hanging rig attachments when it's not on
2: a rig? So we put a lot of stuff in the trees. Okay. Um, Right from year one in 2011, we had a a floating cargo net. Um, So we had that floating cargo net. Um, that we built into the trees so you can definitely do some stuff in your backyard into trees Mm. again you want to look for a tree that's super healthy um we have arborists sometimes that come out and we say is this tree something that we can do okay um if there's um a a branch i don't want to say a branch split but if the tree is growing and there's a there's a branch coming out that's a great place to drop something whether it be a strap or a chain or cable or whatever it is that you're using um those are great to do mm-hmm. if you're building it in your house i mean you just have to be really careful you yeah. know i mean it's not something that we've done mm-hmm. um i've seen people building things off of Joyces between Joyces, yeah. that kind of stuff um i'm not an engineer yep i don't play one on tv <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um so i i wouldn't i wouldn't feel comfortable giving you know Definitely. Um, an opinion on that, yeah. um, but there are definitely, there are so many things online in Ninja blueprints, um, things that you can buy. Mm-hmm. If you're really looking to make something at home, I would look at a blueprint, I really would. And, and they're not all that expensive, Um, to purchase online, and then you know that you're doing it right and you're doing it safe.
0: Yeah, definitely, and there, in fact, is a group on Facebook called Backyard OCR, where people are sharing their advice. Um, I think they have, some people post their plans, they have um, tips and whatever else. And in fact, last year, um, you did host a challenge where people were building their own
2: backyard OCRs. What did you see um, as the outcome of that? Um, It was super fun. It was during COVID, so that was, you know, something to do with the family. Mm -hmm. It was kid oriented, so it was a little bit different. um, And we didn't want to have someone have to build something in order to be able to participate. So there Mm -hmm. was just a lot of imagination and out of imagination grows obstacles that you can build. Mm -hmm. Um, So what what we asked people to do was take things in your household, things do not go to the store, do not go outside, do not spend money find things in your house, which is a great way to train, Mm -hmm. find things in your house and mimic an obstacle course, um, which a ton of people did. They had a blast. Um, There were, however, some people who just happened to have an obstacle course at their house. Um, So we saw that as well. We saw a lot of walls. We saw a lot of um, ninja type things. Ninja slack lines are big right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just came out a few months ago with one that is for adults.
1: so it's got a higher
2: weight capacity the smaller ones the kids ones only Mm -hmm. go up to 250 these go up to i think 350. um so you can definitely buy some things that are online that help you make um your obstacle course again you can put those in between trees um so yeah i mean it's 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 all imagination and the biggest part is it's all fun if you're not having a good time Mm -hmm. think about whether or not this is really something you want to do
0: yeah definitely honestly this is the reason why we get into it is to have fun. We're just playing big kids. Yep. Um, so when you're looking to train for an obstacle course race, it should be about fun first and foremost. But then continuing to challenge yourself. So making sure whatever you are hanging, you know, switching out those grips from time to time, or you know, adding in new challenges. Never really getting comfortable with where you're at. You always want to continue to build more and more. Um, so. Before we let you go, because I know you have a lot of building left to do, Winter Dash is coming up on March 28th, and I'm very excited to come back out. Um, but, Lynn, do you have any other tips and tricks for people who are looking to start OCR training at their house, maybe build a backyard
2: OCR? I think, you know, the biggest tip that we already sort of discussed yeah. is the safety issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I've seen things on the internet and that kind of thing that you know you you take a piece of plywood you strap it to something and you've got an obstacle yeah I get it um you know we don't all have the budget to go out and build these giant things um but you're not going to be able to play if you're hurt so you really just need to think about the safety of your obstacle um and again I'm going to say it again consult someone who knows what they're doing with the build we build things in a completely different way than you would build it in your backyard because we build them to move them. Mm-hmm. So something that you're looking at, hey, I can put this together and I can put this between, you know, what it is be- between two trees cemented in the ground, whatever it is, that's, you know, cementing is a big deal when you're doing something mm-hmm. in your backyard. You can do that. That keeps it, helps it be stable. You also have to know how deep to go and all of those things, again, against consultant an expert. We, on the other hand, have to build it so that it can go up, come down and go in a truck. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different build if you're going to move it. Um, And even here, although we're staying here a lot um, at Canonicus, we're still moving things. Mm -hmm. Um, The palate cleanser behind you um, was in another place two weeks ago. So we still build things so that they can be taken down and moved.
0: That's awesome and I think that's going to be huge for um, people looking to build their backyard courses as well. If you cement it into the ground you're just going to have to redirect your paths for what you're coming in and out of if you are creating that obstacle course. Otherwise you know if you're just putting a rig that you can continue to test on um, that's a whole nother story. Um, So we're going to let you get back to your build but um, can you quickly just run through what does the Boulder Dash schedule look like this year? I know you guys actually had phenomenal races last year during covid time um the town of exeter has been awesome with you guys to allow you to stay open even when gyms in rhode island were closing um so you guys are full on to race again here in 2021 what does the schedule look like
2: the schedule is jam packed um, awesome it, it really is it really is racing um is alive in New racing England. is alive big time um so we have Winter Dash on March 28th. Mm-hmm. We have our first trail run. Um, we have not done a trail run before. Um, so this is new to Boulder Dash. We have three trail runs this year. Um, Mart, excuse me, April 18th is the first trail run. June 13th is the second trail run. And then we're doing one Halloween morning. um october 31st so that's going to be super costumes costumes (laughs) that costume's a must uh that is my jam (laughs) um so we've got that going on we have um, thrive outside in the mud is coming back which is more of a family event and that's in bristol um we have the amazing wish race is coming back and that's something that is um obstacles challenges um fun team building experience um we actually move from site to site it's not just in one place oh, so you awesome. get in your car you go somewhere else that's coming back um in the fall we have a brand new event november 6th um we have an event it's going to be here at at uh, canonicus again but it's a fundraiser for a school um uh the green school and then we're working on a couple of other things okay um that haven't quite you know yep. gotten nope. closed yet so i don't want to you know get everybody excited and we then be wrong. will
0: when things are all finalized. <laughs>
2: and then our fav- my favorite event of the year, which I think you've yes, been to before. You know, too, you know. My dog's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doggy Dash is coming back on October 3rd. Oh, awesome. Um, we're thinking of changing it up a little bit this year. Okay. We've had a lot of people who just want to do a 5K with their dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're putting out a survey and what we might do is a 5K and just litter some obstacles throughout the okay, 5K. Yeah. And that way you can come you can do a 5k or you can come and you can do a 5k obstacle course
0: okay you know either way
2: with your pup so that's probably where that's going this year
0: perfect yeah titan absolutely loved it he ran the full two mile course which He's not a runner, so I was really surprised to see he wanted to run the final two miles. And then we did the obstacle course. He wasn't sure about the obstacles, but he tried yeah. and he fell asleep the entire ride home. It was absolutely amazing and adorable.
2: Love it when your dog gets that tired.
0: Oh my gosh, yes, it was phenomenal. And I can't wait to come back and race more with him and come back, race more on obstacles. You guys are here
2: every Sunday with boot camp, correct? Yes. And boot camp is uh, we have two different kinds of boot camp we have an open run where you can just come out and you can play on the obstacles you have two hours um once in a while we have like we did today we have a three-hour course generally speaking it's a two-hour course um and then we have um a um guided run so if you've never done this before or if you want to workout, we can put you through a workout and then we can take you through a few select obstacles so that you can get some practice on them or learn how to do them so we've got the training piece as well as the open run just go and have a good time
0: awesome and hey guys if you are looking to qualify for OCRWC or you are looking for a serious challenge um, I know I have heard people in the area think Boulder Dash is just this beginner course for you know kids or families just give them a little challenge I promise you Lynn is going to kick your ass out here she has obstacles unlike you'll ever see in any other races and that OCRWC heat is coming during Winter Dash so you can get that pro qualification out on Winter Dash this year so hopefully we will be seeing you all there but if not definitely come out check out Boulder Dash in Exeter rhode island lynn thank you so much for joining us today thank Thank you you so much for letting us come out and play it was definitely a humbling experience (laughs) i'm glad we could help (laughs) awesome
1: and that was just such a great experience going to boulder dash and talking with lynn for most people in the northeast they would probably have a good idea of you know boulder dash in the area someone like me who's some people would say is the south in northern virginia I didn't know much about Boulder Dash, so going out there and seeing and talking with her and knowing the amount of experience and the wealth of knowledge she has was truly eye-opening for me. And to uh, hear the advice she would give people, seeing where she has started to where they are now, was just truly great.
0: Yeah, honestly, between her and Aaron, we are truly blessed to be able to provide these resources to our listeners. I think this is giving everybody a phenomenal place to start in building out their backyard OCR. I know I personally want to start my own backyard OCR as soon as I can. The vast majority of people in the sport dream of being able to set up their own training in some way, shape, or form within their living space. And this is the perfect place to start. So, Again, thank you so much to both Aaron and Lynn for talking with us. I'm so excited to see um, the rigs that people can start coming up with now.
1: And I also wanted to thank everyone from the Backyard OCR Facebook group.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: The amount of I... wish I could share the amount of photos and videos that were given to us just to show off everybody's work because it is something else. So I do encourage everybody to go and join the Backyard OCR Facebook group and see the stuff they're building because it is really incredible to see the stuff that people put together um, and the way they do it practically and not just like building the biggest things. They'll find ways to add on to like their kid's home uh, gym set like their their backyard treehouse and stuff like that. So I would encourage people joining that. If you need to find, you can reach out to uh, Aaron at Race Ready Obstacles for information. You can post into the Backyard OCR group asking for information on how you could build, start where to start for building your own obstacles, and figure out the tips from there.
0: Yeah, and like Aaron was saying, I mean there are great resources online through you know YouTube and whatever else. The community has been doing this for, what, like 10 years at this point? Backyard OCRs aren't a new thing, so utilize the resources within the sport. Ask questions in Backyard OCR. You know, I found people asking these questions in some of the Spartan groups, and I reached out to them and said, hey, what what information can we give you? Um, I've directed them to Backyard OCR. Really just talk to other people in the sport. Because I guarantee you, you will be able to get all of your questions asked just by other people who have sat in that exact same seat you've sat in saying, I really want to build my own monkey bars. And from there, they have transformed their entire backyard.
1: And that pretty much covers it for this episode. For me and Megan, this was really just a sit down learning session for us. We didn't have a lot of information and we actually came out of this with just like boatloads.
0: I've definitely been in that position before where, you know, I've gone to my dad and said, hey, I want to build an Olympus. I have this rough plan. Can you do this? And then he took it and he scratched out numbers and he transformed things. And I mean, it's not the perfect Olympus, but it got me somewhere. This is going to bring my eventual barn when I can actually afford it. This is going to be the start to my gym whenever the time comes that I can start building my gym and my training center.
2: And drop all the money. Go ahead, buy all of those
0: grips because he is producing absolutely everything you'll ever need for obstacle course racing. He is a one-stop shop. So go check out his inventory, reach out to him. If there's something you're looking for, he's happy to talk to you and he's happy to uh, um, come up with it.
1: And remember to also follow Boulder Dash. Uh, They run uh, boot camps every Sunday, mostly two hours, sometimes three hours. They are running events this year. Winter Dash is coming up in, I believe, two weeks And they are running a few other events throughout the year that Lynn mentioned in her interview. So definitely give them a follow. Go out there and, I mean, learn some new obstacles because they have some stuff that you're not going to find at the Everyday Spartan Race. And also make sure to join and see all the cool stuff that's happening in the Facebook group Backyard OCR. Megan, where can they find you?
0: I am MeggieBATC on Instagram. I am the OCR trainer on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.
1: And I am Charles. You can find me on Instagram at Sabertooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. Remember, definitely give us a like, follow, downloads, listen, uh, ratings, whatever you want to do, send us uh, direct messages on, you know, whatever topics you would think would be interesting, how you think we could improve the show. Definitely interact with us and let us know on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us at middle of the pack pod on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also just find all the links to our, where our podcast is hosted on our Instagram Uh, that has our link tree. And I believe it is also on our Facebook as well. And that is it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Aaron and Lynn and everybody of Backyard OCR. And we will catch y'all next week.